0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had uh, is having a nice weekend and a lovely week and you know, a really heartfelt week today I'm uh, gonna be talking about for today's show I'm gonna be talking about or focusing on the second part of the World sensorium, uh, which is a book I started uh, giving sharing my thoughts and reviewing last week. It's by uh, a man named Oliver, Oliver L. Reiser. Uh, But before I go into that, I just want to do my moment of gratitude and talk a little bit about uh, the coffee I'm drinking. So I I've, I've made myself a decaf coffee because it's, it's the afternoon right now, so I don't really want to have too much caffeine. Although I'm one of those people, lucky enough, where if I have caffeine in the afternoon, I don't get all j- jittery and stuff like that. It doesn't seem to bother me too much which is nice but you know just i like the uh, taste of the co- of coffee and i also just don't want to um you know if you know it's probably not a good idea to always drink coffee like caffeinated coffee in the afternoon so i have a nice decaf coffee that uh picked up from just from the store it's not from like a independent coffee roaster or any- anything like that but maybe you know that's one thing I'll add to my list. This is just trying out different decaffeinated uh, coffee or uh, coffee flavors, as well as the caffeinated ones. And for today's uh, gratitude, um, let's see. I'm just ah uh, grateful today. It's a really nice day out. the The weekend or the sun came out this weekend. And it's been lovely and I, I had a chance to go out for a really nice walk the other day and get a little bit of exercise and see how well I've been doing. I've been uh working out so it's a good test for me to see if I how well I did going up those steep hills and stuff. So I did okay. Uh so I'm just grateful for them that, that we've had some nice weather and I was able to get out and enjoy it this weekend. Uh, and so, like I said before, or at the beginning, I'm going to be going over the second part of uh, L- Oliver L. Riser's *The World Sensorium*. Uh, I'll get the let, here. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read the whole the whole title, just in case you're tuning into the show for the first time. So the book is *The uh, World Sensorium*, the social social embryology of a of world federation. 1946. And uh, like I said in the, my last show, I, I did say I wanted to give a little bit of, of a background about Oliver Riser, so I did look into him a bit. And I also want to just give a quick correction as well because I think last week I kept talking about I think it was exper- I kept calling it exper- experimental biology or experiential bi- biology. What I meant to say was uh, emergent biology. So the emergent biology is related to the topic of the morphic, of mor- the morphic morphology and the morphic morphogenic fields. I Keep saying it, and I don't think I keep saying it wrong, but the morphic uh, fields. So it's related to that. Emergent biology is another name for that, and I think I'll just refer to that. I'll just use uh, emergent biology uh, moving forward, but that's essentially what it is. So if you're familiar with the, there's a guy named Rupert Sheldrake. He wrote a lot of books about morphic resonance and uh, the morphic fields. So if if you ever follow any of that work, emergent biology is similar. It's pretty much saying the same thing, um, which is that, organisms and and species and entities collectively have a memory so when something happens in one part of the world let's say you know flies get a new way to see or um you know maybe birds get a new uh, figure out a more uh a better way to hunt or a better way to make nests or or something something that is advantageous for one species. Well, then the probability of that trait appearing in another part of the world goes up uh, because it's like it goes into this collective memory, and so the the following generations remember that, and so they start and they um, they int- they bring that trait. If it's useful, they continue bring get um, bringing that trait into the, the newer generations. So I, I hope that makes sense. So uh, Oliver L. Reiser, uh, he was born November 15th, uh, 1885 and died June 16th, 1974. He was a medical, I think he was in the medical corps during World War One, And after which he uh, established a career as a professor in philosophy at the University of Pittsburgh. And he was a writer, so he. this isn't the only book he wrote. Uh, he wrote The Integration of Human Knowledge and uh, Cosmic Humanism. So he considered himself to be a cosmic humanist. I haven't read any of his other books. I'm not entirely sure what that means. Um, What was interesting, though, when I was looking for his biography and his obituary, the, the write-ups never mentioned the world sensorium. Like, they mentioned some of his other books, but they don't mention this one. And I always find it funny how, like, the important stuff, the stuff to the powers that shouldn't be don't want us to know. It's often, maybe it's that they lie about it, they make fun of it, or they omit it. So, in this case, they omitted this book. Like, they talk about his other books but they omit this one, and it's probably because it's disturbing. Like When I was reading through the, and you'll see in a minute when I start talking about it, but when I was reading through the second part of the book, I was kind of, I found it more off-putting. I mean, it's important, so I kept reading it, uh, because I think it's important to understand the ideology behind what we're seeing with the rollout of Web 3.0 and you know, this push for human plus and and life plus. Um, So that's why I think this book is really important and I highly encourage people to read it. Uh, And then just to finish off his, his little bit of history, he was also, so he considered himself a cosmic humanist and his writing, at least in the world sensorium kind of reflects this because he, he's really focused on this world brain and, and consciousness and all this stuff. And then he was also close friends with Albert Einstein and remained close friends with him up until his death. And to me, this is kind of also telling because a lot of people were influenced by his writing and his work. And so, and his work and his writing has influenced a lot of the scientific humanism and kind of what we're seeing unfolding right now. And I think that's important. I think it's important to like, to think about these things and think about the people that they were associated with, because like, it's like, it feels like they're all in on it. And these figures like Einstein, like they're usually, you know, I mean, they've been held up in society as very accomplished uh, scientists and physicists and so on. And, i I know i I don't know, I'm just getting to the point where i I think at least for me it's important to scrutinize a lot of their work, like I'm sure there's some good things, but you know, like with the world censorium if they're trying to promote this utopia or trying to make people air quote better i something about that really bothers me because there's a very dark side to that, and um. And with him being friends with Einstein, I can only imagine that his work influenced Einstein and and vice versa. So uh, he's, he like I guess what I'm trying to get at is that he didn't exist in a vacuum. There was a lot of uh, contemporaries and people that followed his work, and it has influenced a lot of what we're seeing being rolled out now. Um, and my last point with his uh, history is that uh, his theories have also become really popular with new agers. And it makes sense because I mean, I'm not in the new age community. I think they're, they're kind of weird, but they, I call them plus bunnies. Um, they're kind of, and I always say they as a group, I'm not talking about like individuals, but just like kind of like, uh, you know, like collectively, like when they talk about this rainbow tribe and this whole, thing about unity and that we're all the same and stuff like that, and, like, you know, this kumbaya, and (laughs) on the surface of it, like, yeah, it sounds really pretty, but then when I read in the book that Oliver uh, Riser believes that, like, he calls it this special, um, like, uh, (laughs) he has a specific word for Unique cultures and hang on. I'm going to see if I can find it because I I have been writing down notes and trying to organize my presentations a bit more. Uh, let's see. Oh, they okay. So he calls it special frameworks. So in the book, what he calls unique, uh, interesting, and uh, varied cultures throughout the world, he calls those special frameworks, and his desire is to get rid of all those and to integrate it into a world unity or to allow those things to continue but with them being integrated into the world brain if that makes sense but so that's where that whole unity comes from and like the rainbow tribe and stuff like that and for me i think it, i think it's our differences and different the way that our, our backgrounds and the way that you are know, or the way that cultures are different from each other and have different perspectives different myths and legends and stories like i feel like that is what makes up the beautiful <clears throat> tapestry of human beings and it's just like what and life on earth and it's just like but he they just want to integrate it into one world brain and just I don't know. I just i I think that would destroy a lot of like it has the potential to de- destroy a lot of innocent people and and just what makes us or what makes life interesting on the planet because it's I think it's in our differences that you know that's where at least that's for me that's where I find beauty. Um. Anyway, so <clears throat> the first part of the book he talked so in the first part of the section. Um, which he he titles the social embryology and extra sen- ESP or extrasensory uh, per- perception. So uh, I I don't know if any how many of you are f- are familiar with ESP, but or extrasensory sensory perception is something that a lot of universities, uh, especially within the parapsychology department i've been trying to study and they've been trying to study uh consciousness and what extrasensory perception is is like the you know how like people have the um maybe have uh, clairvoyance or they have um like kind of extra like psychic abilities or telepathy um you know maybe they, they can have premonitions and so on so that's kind of what the extrasensory perception is if you're not familiar with ESP. And for the rest of the presentation, I'm just going to be uh, using the abbreviation ESP, but that's what that means. And and in the book, Oliver Oliver L. Reiser treats this as like a new ph- phenomenon. But ESP has been around for a long time. Like it's not it's not new. Like back in ancient times, like people... You had telepaths and you had people with extrasensory uh, abilities, and sometimes they would share those, but a lot of times they would hide them. Like, I mean, you know, for example, if, yeah, I'm living back in the ancient world and I have the ability um, and I'm a telepath, well, I'm not going to tell people that I'm a telepath because I don't want like, kings and lords and stuff to know that because, A, they're gonna try and use me to understand what the other people are doing or they'll try and kill me, so you know, I think that these, I mean, these things have these powers these extra, these ESP abilities they've existed for a long time and it's not it's not new, like, they they treat it like it's a new phenomenon in the book and it's not but, anyway so the beginning of the social embryology and ESP um, riser talks about the rising tide of humanism. Uh, and what that means is that he wants to find meaning in the yet unknown future. So um, I don't know. There's a lot of people, if you, you see those like tech channels and social media or on the TV and stuff and they're, they call themselves like futurists. Um, I suspect they're also humanists because they're, they're trying to project into the future and find meaning in it and then to inspire people to also find meaning there so there's all and they have the this obsession with this unknown future to the point where like when i was reading this i felt like i was also there was a lot of parallels between that and like the like the really you know the christian doctrine of the rapture and like how certain not every Christians like this but there's certain denominations that are more obsessed with the rapture than others and so there's a lot of them that think that we're in the end times and that you know they're all focused on that and I feel like there is a sort of a parallel between that and this focus on the unknown future and this thinking that there's going to be this super or- emergence of a super organism or a world brain and uh, later on in the, in the section of the book, um, someone does – his name is Dr. Rice. I, I tried to find information on him, and I couldn't find too much of it. But he was a contemporary of Risers. And in part of the book, he, he kind of talks about how scientists are now the new prophets. And if you ever – like, well, I don't really watch the news anymore. Unfortunately, some of my family members still do. And I haven't been able to convince them otherwise. So, you know, sometimes I'll be listening in on um, a news segment and there'll be like a scientist or a doctor online, a doctor there. And everyone's referring to their expertise and they're being kind of held up on a pedestal. So that kind of reminds me of the whole profit thing. Like people really like people really taking their words as like gospel, you know, especially when it comes to medicine and stuff. So I thought that was an interesting parallel because we're seeing this now. And like the book was written in in 1946, but it's almost like uh, scientists in this day and age have become almost like priests in a way. And, and in a way, and it kind of makes sense because if they want to, you know, push humanity towards this world brain or this one world government or one world religion. Then they'll. It makes sense that they'll put scientists as like that priest as a as an equivalent to that priest class, where you know you're hurting the followers or they're trying to hurt the followers towards this this future, this unknown future. Um, and and Riser believes that the that the cure for the social our social ills is a complete integration of scientific, economic, religious and social thinking into this new world into this world or into this world brain that he keeps talking about like the superorganism and that this integration will be the base of a pro- of this program for the world brain so um, So that's what uh he's talking about with the rising tide of humanism in that book and I think that's really important because we are seeing like I, as I said before like they want to take all these like special air quote special frameworks which are just different cultures and and different ways of living in the world and integrate them to the point where they're all unified, but I just don't think that works. And uh the last the book I already talked about before this one was God is Read by Vine Deloria Jr. And he talks about like how it's the land and the specific area and that specific geography of that land that is what gives people and culture uh meaning or the culture and the people that are specific to that area meaning. So when one cult like one culture in one part of the world is gonna be different from another part a culture in a part of the in a in another part of the world because the lands are different and the spirits of that land are different and, and the and that is one of the reasons why I I just don't see this whole unifying utopian thing working because we're all different and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And like I said before, I think there's beauty in differences, but they don't see it that way, and so they're hoping what their what their goal is is to find is that is to create like a universal language, a universal culture, which will be the basis of the world brain. So that's that that was the section on the rising tide of humanism. And then, like I said before, uh, Doctor—or not Doctor Oliver Eliezer—spoke about a colleague named Doctor C. Hilton Rice, and I'm not sure if he's like related to the Rice University. Again, I—I—I only—I didn't have too much time this week, but I, I tried to search him, and uh, when I tried searching for him, I couldn't find too much about him other than what I knew about from uh, the section in the book. So. Uh, Oliver L. Reiser had in the book, he publishes a series of letters that he's received from Dr. C. Hilton Rice. And it's about, um, and Dr. Rice talks about, because he did a lot of research, because he was a contemporary and a friend of Reiser's. And so he believed uh, in, he also believed in the emergence of a, or the rise of a super organism. And he also did research into ESP. Uh so he wrote a theory uh which Riser shares in the in the book and, the, and you, you kind of get a sense of his theory as you read through those letters. And what he what Dr. Rice or what Dr. Rice wrote was that he thinks that uh in his theory which is called the visible organism, uh he thinks that man is an embryo of God. And that one day man will have the same um I think as omnipresence and omnipotence as God. So he'll be able to see everything and know everything. And he thought that um light is the soul of matter and it can be and it can be transformed into a psychic essence. And I'll get to that a bit further in the book because riser uh, a little further on in the section he he talks about that as well. So and then also uh Dr. Rice thought that each individual is like a god's neuroblast. So I wasn't sure what that meant, but reading through that section, I kind of what I thought about was how each or what I what I kind of understood was that each, you know how each cell or each nerve makes up a whole. So, for example, like the brain is made up of thousands and thousands upon, maybe even probably like millions of cells. Our whole bodies are made of cells. So each individual cell is a part of this whole. And so uh, Dr. Rice thinks that, you know, he, he uses that analogy of the neuroblast to say that you know each individual is like the cell of of god and this emergent god that is coming into the world and and that's why he thinks that we're evolving to have both esp and just regular sensory perception which is like our five senses and so he thinks that because there's this that man is now this embryo of god and that we're gonna be giving birth to this superhuman, godlike organism. That we're gonna need a new religion and a new social science for this world, for this as of yet unknown world. But like I said earlier, ESP has been around forever. Like it's not new. Western science is can is treating it like new, like it's new, but it's been ex- in existence for a long time. Like a lot of indigenous. Nations have people like uh, you know uh, medicine people and and spiritual healers and so on that have these gifts. They, uh, a lot of African spiritual traditions have people that have these gifts, like uh, same you know similar to the healers and um, you know and, and spiritual guides and so on. Like there's people that have this. There's people in all over that have these things, like, like, just think, like, have you ever had the, I mean, I've had this experience where if you're thinking about someone, and maybe it's someone that you haven't talked to in a while, and actually, I had this experience recently, where someone that you haven't talked to in a while, maybe it's a friend or an old colleague from work or, or what have you, I mean, you are on good terms with them, you just kind of, you know, life gets busy, maybe you don't stay in contact with each other, as much as you did before, but then you start thinking about them, and then maybe a day, two days later, maybe a week later, you see that person, you see them out walking, you see them at the bus stop or at the store, and you're like, "Oh, hey, how are you?" like you know, I've been thinking about you how how's it going and so you kind of are able to re reconnect with that person like i, I had that similar experience yesterday or a couple of days ago where um you know a, a couple. I saw someone that I had been thinking about uh, like maybe a few days or a week before that. Um, I saw him at the bus stop and we said hi. Like at first I didn't recognize him because he kind of changed a bit. But, you know, I said hi and we'd start talking and uh, catching up. Couldn't stay long, but, you know, it's just an example of like how um, we already have that extrasensory perception. Like if we can think about, like when we think about a person that we want to talk to and then we see that person a few days later or a week later like it's a similar with the manifestation like if you think about manifesting a new job or manifesting um maybe manifesting a relationship or manifesting a a fun trip somewhere or man or you know there's so many things like if you're thinking about it and you know and you're visualizing it and maybe you're making Doing things to uh, kind of create that manifestation, and then maybe a, a few days later, a few months later, or even a year. Because sometimes you know the universe, you know, she likes to move at her own pace. She's not gonna let you know you don't tell her what to do. That <laughs> doesn't work that way. But eventually, you know, if it you know it it shows up, like eventually it manifests, and then you're just like, oh, cool, I have a a nice job and you know, I, I really enjoyed that trip to Hawaii or whatever it is. Like, we have those gifts. This isn't new, and they're treating it like it is, <laughs> and, and they want to like create this whole like super organism around it. It's crazy. Uh, and then just a little bit more about Dr. Rice. Um, he think uh, so. Dr. Rice also thinks that uh, science. So you know how I said earlier in the presentation that science and you know religious or scientific doctrine and religious doctrine are starting to have a lot of parallels with each other. Like the the whole science of the moving into the unknown future and becoming this world organism uh, is very similar to like the Book of Revelations and the Rapture, where we'll be going towards this kingdom of God and, and Jesus is going to come. He's going to separate all the believers and non-believers. Um, I think the world brain or the this planetary organism is maybe closer to Genesis than it is to the rapture. Uh, but it's kind of a similar thing because it's almost like this creation story. And like I said before, now prophet, now scientists are like the new prophet and these Scientists have this vision of becoming, of this scientific humanism that will usher us in towards this this global brain, this world sensorium. Uh, and then he also thought that uh, Dr. Rice also also believed that the, a prophet would appear um, and this prophet would create a world plan that would inspire, you know, geniuses or disciples to usher in the age of ideas that would bring about this world organism and you kind of see that a little bit with like think tanks you see that with like certain members of the scientific community being put on a pedestal and their ideas are have a lot of scientific humanism running in them so all I'm saying is if you are into science or if you're in this field just be very careful about these doctrines. I mean, I'm not saying every scientist is like this, but I'm saying that I think it's important to be watch out for extremism in any er arena of life, not just religion, because this feels like a utopian nightmare. Like a dystopian nightmare, because you know, things don't like, there's a very big difference between vision and reality, and the vision that they have, like What are they going to do with the people that don't want to become integrated with the world brain? Like, how are they going to push people towards this when most people probably don't want it? And that's where the scary and and tragic and very dark um, history of, you know, these things have, like, this utopian, these utopian dreams have been around before. I mean, I think this one's a bit different. And this one has the, chance to be a lot more vicious than the other utopian or dystopian um, doctrines that have been out there. Um, I still I just think that because we could see a lot of tragic and a lot of pain and suffering as the result of this um, this doctrine of scientific humanism and this this push to try and create a world brain. Because, like I said, what are they going to do with the people that don't want this? Are they going to throw them in a prison camp somewhere? Um, are they going to destroy their genetic line with these uh, genetic uh, medicines and, like, so-called not medicines but with genetics? Are they going to try and stomp them out of existence? I yeah, I don't know. And and this does have a lot of like, he hasn't said it in the book yet, but I just feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of room for eugenics to come into this. And that's a very dark, tragic history that really hasn't gone away and a lot of innocent people got hurt. You know, that's that's just the side. I don't um anyway, just to get back to the book. <clears throat> um Oliver Al- so after Oliver Riser speaks about his colleague Dr. Rice and his ideas of this visible organism. Uh riser then talks about a selective synthesis of ideas uh so uh so what this means is that riser was talking about like the three stages of human evolution and it's really rest- western evolution because he talks a lot about um he uses Aristotle and Greek philosophy as the reference point, so the first stage of human evolution, according to riser. Is pre-Aristot- Aristotle, 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 <laughs> uh, pre-Aristotle, uh pre Aristotle and Greek philosophy thinking. So it's the period of so-called primitive man. And I want to make an important note because when he talks of, when he talks about primitive man, he also talks about this thing called mystical participation. And what that means is just in uh, like he calls indigenous people, primitive man, like I that those are uh his words, but uh you know how um a lot of nature based spiritual traditions see uh spirit and matter as, as one and the same, like they're not separate. And so they see that there's spirit and in, in rocks and trees, animals, birds and um how there's a responsibility to uh, kind of be a good relative and that we can learn a lot from other beings as well as other beings learn from us. Um, You know, Celtic spirituality has that too, like where there's uh, this recognition of, you know, uh, various gods and goddesses and like, and other uh, beings that interpenetrate our world and, interpenetrate matter so matter isn't dead like what material sciences but the material sciences talk about matter is alive with spirit and so that's what this mystical participation is that he's you know the so-called primitive man has it's not and it's not primitive it's true like it a spirit interpenetrates everything and interpenetrates the land and just like what vine deloria jr talked about and god is red like the spirit is in the land and each area and each part of the world is going to have different spirits and different energies because the geography is different you know just like how like for example in in britain they have lots of ghost stories about hauntings and, and people from like seeing ghosts dating all the way back to the Roman Empire and even before that, and then in other parts of the world, they have stories about different spiritual beings and different entities that are, um, you know, not for, that are maybe a bit different from another part of the world. So, and I I find that really interesting, but it's kind of it's not really primitive. It's just how the world works, like our like I said, spirit and matter. Are one and the same, they're not separate it's only it's Western science and Western thinking that separated those two. okay, so after that, the second stage of human evolution, according to Reiser, is Aristotle and Greek philosophy uh following that stage the the third stage is what he thinks will succeed as Aristotle thinking uh, to create this world organism. <laughs> and this is where this the study of ESP comes in because he thinks that um, he thinks that ESP comes from the psychic fields that human minds collectively create together so just like the analogy of the individual cells making up the whole body it's like individual human minds make up the whole psychic uh, that's a psychic collective. And so, and the way that the collective is influenced or, or moved is through the, uh, is through that emergent biology, uh, which is related to fields of force, acting on the, acting on the physical material. Um, so, for example, it could be the electromagnetic fields, which are acting on the physical matter. And to and according to Reiser, I mean electromagnetic fields are as real to physicists as the chairs that sit on them, or the chairs that not sit on them as the chairs they sit on um, <clears throat> and so where emergent biology comes in is that the these fields of force will act on the collective minds of human beings to uh, create new behaviors or in the terms of like physical particles these fields will um, act on, an, on some, an ensemble of particles to create and to create new behaviors and traits um, riser uh, believes that each living entity lives in the field and that there are micro fields that make up the macro fields so if we all as individuals live within these fields then our individual when we come together our individual fields make up a macro field and I do agree with that like I like I do think that morpho- morphic fields exist I just completely disagree with that you know human beings need to like move towards this world brain I'm not, not a fan of that but I do agree that We do have fields. I guess sometimes they can. I don't know if auras are the same thing as fields, uh, but we do have them. And maybe this is why, like, we can pick up on, if, you know, especially people who are really sensitive can pick up on the feelings and emotions of other people without them having to talk about it. Like, you know, if you come into a room and you kind of feel like it's a bit gloomy and everyone's not looking too good and you know and maybe you found out that they got some really um, tragic new- news about a family member or maybe a work situation um, like I had this experience where I was working uh, it was about a year ago and it was when like Bitcoin was really all the rage I guess it's still now I'm not a fan of Bitcoin for the, and I'm not a fan of uh, blockchain but a lot of people about a year ago, where I was working, they wanted to make some money, so they invested into these uh, tokens, and you know everyone was super excited, and they're all saying, "Oh yeah, I made thousands of dollars," and blah blah blah. And then one day, I walked into the lunchroom, and everyone was dead silent. You know, I could pick up on like people being stressed out, people being sad, and the thought came to me, oh. I think something happened with those tokens, and that's when someone said, oh, the market crashed or something, and they lost, a lot of people lost a lot of money. So that was, it was sad, and I hope that they don't um, take that as a lesson not to mess around with this stuff. But that's just an example of how you can walk into a room and pick up the mood of the room without even talking to anybody. That's extrasensory perception. And that's an example of having, of each person having a field, and then being able to pick up on the field of others and like the field of the room. If that makes sense. Um, and then Riser believes that the psychic fields emerging from, emerge out of the biological ones, and that human beings will have the same powers as God. So again, with the I have to have a little bit of coffee because this is some of this stuff gives me a headache. But yeah, he thinks that these are recent, uh, that these psychic abilities are recent and they're coming out of uh, emergent biology and that they're leading human beings to become like a god. Um, I don't know, that's pretty presumptuous, but um, this is what they think and they want, and I don't, you know, and I don't think they're talking, I don't think Oliver Oliver L. Riser is talking about like the average person when he says this. I think he's talking about uh, the self-appointed people that think that they are the ones to guide society and they will have these powers to act as gods and then to control the direction of human destiny. Uh, again, I think that's a dangerous doctrine. It's a dangerous way of thinking. It's a dangerous ideology because the only way I the only place I see this leading is to a lot of misery and pain for the average person and that's why understanding this ideology is really important because it's the backbone of web 3 that's what web 3.0 is all about and the life plus and and human plus is towards this world brain this world sensorium and these people want to be like god okay uh so after introducing his theory of esp uh riser talks about um a doctrine another doctrine that was developed by a scientist cv uh cappers i believe that that's his name i didn't have a chance to look him up either but um but in the book riser talks about how cappers created this neurobiotaxis uh doctrine where, uh, for nerves to grow in a certain direction, uh, they need to be polarized. So, uh, uh, an example of this or an analogy would be: uh, if you get a cut uh, anywhere in the body, let's say a hand, let's say you cut your hand, and and now you have you know you have a fairly decent sized wound, maybe you don't need stitches, but it's there. And so the nerves sense this, uh, stimu- this stimulation. They sense this pain, and they become uh, through bio electricity. They become polarized, and so they begin to move in the direction of the stimulus, which is the cut. And then they grow, and they become. They eventually will become new tissue and heal that cut. So that's kind of like the what the doctrine of neurobiotaxis is talking about is how uh, nerves are polarized to encourage growth in a specific, re- uh, specific region and, he, and, um, and that there's this substrate and that the, the nerves are within this substrate that enable the polarization. Um and what the polarization is is a difference in electrical growth potential, so think of a battery, or at least when I'm reading this, I'm thinking of a battery and how there's a positive and negative on the terminals, and how that positive and negative it, it, in order like okay in order for electricity to flow in a circuit, there needs to be a difference um a differential between the positive and negative. If there's no differential, then there's no flow of electricity. So, um, <laughs> I hope that makes sense. But the, na- the the way electrons flow is they flow from negative to positive. And so, if a le- if the negative electrons sense like the positive electrons, then they'll move in that direction, and you'll get a a current going. Um, you know, negative electrons aren't going to move towards other negative electrons. They're going to move towards uh, the positive ones, and so it's that difference between the negative and positive that gives uh, that differential electric growth potential. If yeah. that makes sense, and and the and so right, the reason why Riser introduces this doctrine is because he wants to, he's trying to find. A similar social analogy to the neurobiotaxis, because he envisions um, this polarization being used on human beings to move us in the in the direction of creating this world brain. And uh, throughout this, uh, throughout talking about this doctrine, he also talks about how the the Nerves live in the subs in that substrate, um, and it's that substrate that creates the polarization. And that got me thinking about well, po- like the, a lot of the polarization that we see in in society as a whole. And I was thinking today that maybe the substrate that we're in right now, eh, one of them is social media. Um, I got off a lot of the social media channels I'm only on a couple of them now and I'm glad I did Uh, because when I was there I noticed that like especially on Facebook you know I noticed that a lot of the posts and a lot of the content was polarizing like it was it was set to specific values and emotions that uh, the AI or the the algorithm knew that I would react to and so i would see these stories and then you know i would you know react and i mean this is before i kind of understood what was really happening but you know they they would put, put uh, post these stories and then i uh, to get a reaction right to stimulate that growth in this specific direction and and maybe the other substrate is storytelling and narratives so, so stories and narratives that are designed to make us polarized so that they can manipulate us to grow in a certain direction, and I think you know especially YouTube as well, like I've been thinking about YouTube and like the content that shows up on my uh posts and like the the tags and the names being kind of um i mean they I get that like content creators will put name like name their videos and to be. Uh, sensational. Just kind of like how newspapers and stuff do, like with marketing, like to sensationalize their content so that people will click on it. Um, and that kind of creates a polarization, right? And that that happens a lot on YouTube, especially with like the the so-called left and the so-called right. You know, being polarized, and what we need to understand is that they need. They need to integrate all of us into this world brain. So, yeah, they're going to use different stories to polarize different people so that they can move us in that direction. It's not one or the other. They want the left wing, and they also want the right wing, and they want to eventually integrate them for the purposes of the world brain. So they're going to polarize people on purpose so that we they can push us they can manipulate us to grow in the area with the biggest with the most stimulation if, if that makes sense like thinking about the biological the analogy and and that's why like i just encourage people to be really careful with when we're, when you're on social media and interacting with these things it's like you know and, and i've started doing it, is to take a step back and just to think like Is this post or are these stories or these narratives that are being, especially narratives that are being talked about on the mainstream media, but there's also this, you know, they're also polarizing people on the so-called alt um, alternative media or the so-called resistance. Like they're there too. Like they, you know, these people aren't stupid. They've been planning this for a long time. So this is like a tabletop game or a simulation to them. And we're all in the simulation, as Alison McDowell talked about. So, you know, of course, they're going to they're going to have their stories for the so-called resistance because they know that people are, are not going to go for this. So they have stories ready to polarize people. And then same thing with the mainstream media. They also have stories that are going to polarize people. So all I'm saying is just, it's really important to take a step back and to think about, like, okay, This is supposed. Okay, so this is kind of polarizing, and I wonder why, and I wonder what direction they're trying to pull me in. Um, you know, just to really critically think about this, and really, like thinking about the our emotions as we're reading through this stuff, because, you know, the mind and emotions are they're not separate; they they go together. You know, unlike what Western thinking has done, where they separate the where they separate a mind and Emotions. Anyway, so uh, Oliver Riser continues to talk about the doctrine of neurobiotaxis and saying that the the direction that uh, embryo nerve cells grows is influenced by the bioelectric processes that stimulate a a region, so that the embryo will grow towards a particular direction. And like I said, that's done by polarizing the embryo, so it will go, it will uh, grow towards a particular region. Uh, The embryo will be attracted towards the region with the greatest uh, stimulation. And like I said, he wants to use this doctrine of neurobiotaxis to polarize us, to move us towards the world brain. So it's really critical to think about the media and to think about the stuff that we are um, engaging with on a constant basis and if it's polarizing us. Because if you feel like it's polarizing you, probably is. Um, So after introducing the doctor, and he then goes on to talk about the mystery and majesty of light, Uh, so Reiser uses the example of how the optic stock in our brains was developed to enable us to see both visible light and ESP, and he thinks that emergent biology had a role to play in that because um, our species developed the memory of having eyesight as well as uh, and i guess as well as e s p so um you know as soon as that trait emerged uh, our species collectively remember that, and so future for future generations we developed that optic optic stock in our brain so we would be able to have this the ability to see visible light as well as e s p uh And and um, so it's kind of like the light from within meets the light from without, and Dr. Rice also had the same thought that the physical eyes see the material, and the mind's eyes see the psychic field. So you know he thought that you know this through emergent biology, we got visible the ability to see the physical, but then also the ability to see the non-physical through ESP. Uh, And then to summarize the majesty of light, uh, Riser thinks that we're headed towards a future where the human mind is reaching out towards its own object of perception, so that would be God, and uh, moving towards the source of ESP, God again, uh, to become a world's uh, cerebrum. So the cerebrum is in our brain, Uh, where individuals become integrated into the social nest of the superorganism the world sensorium and there's the title of the book um so human individuals will come together to form the world sensorium uh throughout the space-time of the psychic ether so that you know i'm thinking as i do future shows to start talking about like their research into consciousness because they are really interested in consciousness because it's that psychic ether. And I think, you know, given i trying, like, uh, as I understand their work or Riser's work and his work in the ESP, I really do think that they're going to try and use ESP to control human consciousness so that they can create this world brain uh, and control. Everything and also control the cosmos. Like they want to be, they want to observe God. Pretty much, <laughs> they want to take God's place. Uh, Riser um, then talks about the cortical thalamic integration, and what that means is the integration of mind and emotion. Once again, uh, so remember how I said that. Uh, Indigenous people and a lot of African people, like the spiritualities, they never really uh, separated mind and emotion. Like that happened in Western thinking where, you know, you had the object separated from the subject. So it all became just object and mind. And so what Riser is talking about is reintegrating that again. Uh, So reintegrating mind and emotion. Uh, And reintegrating science and religion, uh, because then that will, he thinks that once that, excuse me, once those things are reintegrated again, that we'll have, um, we'll see more ESP emerging in people. And uh, he does talk about that there is strong, a strong relationship between visual optics and emotions. And I think that's true too. You know, think about movies and images, and how those are able to evoke emotions in people. Um, And he thinks that people who already have ESP, you know, people that are already clairvoyants and psychics and so on, like that they are precursors that where we'll see in the future more and more people having ESP, and that this will lead to a collective um like a collective, like higher consciousness, which is the higher consciousness of the world brain. Uh, he thinks that because we live busy lives, and he also thinks too, like just as a, as an aside, that because we live busy lives now, that that's why we don't maybe don't see as much um, ESP because we have the potential to ESP to have ESP, but because we're so busy not a lot of us get a chance to uh, develop that and so just to and then to conclude the last part of today's presentation is last part of the uh, section on the kind of the social embryology and it's uh, going beyond classical physics and I, I think this is really important I mean all of it's important but this is pretty important uh, riser believes that uh, attraction will be outside the space-time parrot paradigm as written about in classical physics and that distance won't be an issue is what he means is that um, this emergence by emergent ESP can happen anywhere like space and time won't be relevant um, and that distance and space will be relative so if ESP you know just like when I gave the analogy of kind of like the the flies and when Or birds in one area, out the world developing a trait, and how the probability that that will happen somewhere else will go up. So it's kind of like that doesn't really. So that means that uh, emergent evolution or the morphic fields aren't governed by this the same space time paradigm that we're used to thinking about with classical uh, physics. That that's what he was. I think that's what he's getting at. Uh, He believes that the superorganism will rise above elementalism, which is like the Aristotle Greek philosophy and classical physics that were taught in high school. Uh, So it will rise above elementalism, but there will be a place for world government, where world coordinators will oversee the planetary democracy. And I also kind of want to point out too, that like, like I've said in other uh, shows, Davos, they're important. Like Davos, the World Bank, World Health Organization, IMF. Like there are these organizations that are bigger than like above nations, and they, you know, they they influence a lot of the geopolitical events. Um, an important part of that, though, that often gets overlooked, I think, is the role that local, like the the local politicians. And institutions and so on uh, play in also rolling this stuff out. So while there's world coordinators, I would argue too that there's local coordinators and they work together. It's like the micro and the macro working together to bring about this world brain or, or this world sensorium. Uh, he then goes on to say that the planetary democracy will be above special frameworks, which is... I talked about that a little earlier and you know that special framework word is just a nice way to say uh the different unique cultures that exist around the world. So it'll be above those and it will do away with race, language, religion and nations to have a world unity. And like I said, I I think that has a very dark that's a very dark and dangerous ideology. Um Because it's very easy for eugenics to come into play and for that ideology to be used as an excuse to hurt other people and other beings. Um, And then lastly, he thinks that scientific humanism will spiritualize science and lift humanity out of classical culture and towards the psychic uh, continuum of the world brain. And this is why like. Now I'm, I'm starting to have uh, real reservations about scientific human. I mean, I wasn't even aware of scientific humanism until reading this book. And, you know, they, I think the scientific humanists have replaced uh, the priests in terms of this, this world doctrine uh, that they want to use to push, or as their ideology, to push us towards this human plus, life plus uh, world. And so that's where I'm kind of going to leave off for today. I will conclude uh, the World Sensorium for next week. And in um, that <laughs> section, it's going to be interesting. Like the the title of the first section I'm going to be reading is the Temple of Humanity. So there is a lot of like spirituality and esoteric science in this book as well. And it's just interesting how these go those he's putting those things together with scientific humanism, which you know, these, they don't really take take this stuff as like you think scientists don't really take this stuff seriously, but uh these people do and then uh, and then he's gonna talk about the birthing of the world brain, so that should be interesting <laughs> that should be an interesting. Uh, section to talk about and to, and that's when I think I'll give more concluding thoughts and more like concluding uh, statements. For now, I'm just going to leave it here because there's a there's quite a bit of information in that section, and uh, I hope that people get something out of this because, it's, like I said, I feel like it's important to understand this ideology. Uh, and then once I'm done with the World Sensorium book, I think I might take a break and read. I picked up. Uh, Madeline Engel's fourth book in the time uh, in her time series so I think I'm going to read that one just as a little bit of a break to um, as something that's kind of a bit from something that's a little more serious and you know, a lot of technical terms just to have a really fun and inspiring story but I feel like there would be I feel like it might actually relate to what I'm talking about so we'll see but it's funny how the universe has like these interesting synchronicities and these interesting synchronicities with some of the work I'm doing with the podcast. Anyway, so thank you. Thank you, everyone, for stopping by the Quantum Heart Cafe. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a heartfelt week. And thanks for stopping by. We'll see you again next week.